views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of Blue Ridge PBS, the Virginia Department of Education, or the Virginia Society for Technology and Education. Blue Ridge PBS, in partnership with the Virginia Department of Education and in collaboration with VISTI, the Virginia Society for Technology and Education, is talking to leading educators about what gets them energized and how technology is being used to inspire student engagement. This is Activated Learning. Is there a definition of what is chronic? Yes, chronic absenteeism means I'm missing two days a month, which is 18 days a year. So when we think of two days a month, that's not that big of a deal to us when we're, we're thinking about it or we're rolling through our lives. But parents need to ask their school, how many days has my child missed? Welcome to Activated Learning. I'm Tom Landon, Director of Educational Innovation for Blue Ridge PBS. My guest today is Dr. Lisa Coons, the Virginia Superintendent of Public Instruction, who was appointed by Governor Glenn Youngkin to oversee the smooth implementation of state and federal policies in all K-12 schools in the Commonwealth while tackling some of the major issues that arose during the pandemic. Dr. Coons comes to Virginia from Tennessee and before that was a classroom leader in Ohio, and we were very fortunate that she found some time to talk to us from high atop the Monroe Building in downtown Richmond, just steps away from the Virginia Capitol Building, about the priorities of the department this year and beyond. Welcome, Dr. Coons, to Activated Learning. We're so pleased to have you here. I'm thrilled to be here. It's exciting to talk about educators. We, that's that's the best part of my job, and I'm sure it is yours as well. Um... You are the secretary, the superintendent of public instruction in Virginia, and what what does that mean to the average person when they when they see your title? What are you in charge of? What do you what is your what is your what is your purpose here? That means there's 1.3 million children in the Commonwealth who are counting on me to have a high quality instructional experience every day, and we are supporting the system across the Commonwealth. Every school division, every teacher, every classroom, we are working to support them, make sure they have the resources, and that they can give an effective lesson and that they can support children in coming to school and having great opportunities to reach their post-secondary dreams. And I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, when they think about the Department of Education, they think it is just like, oh, you're in charge of teachers, but there are so many other pieces and policies that go go together with that. As we start, you, uh, you came here to Virginia not that long ago from Tennessee, and I don't know where you were before then, so I just want to start with a little biography. So, you know, tell me what your what your educational journey has been and how did you end up where you are? Sure. I started as a classroom teacher. I was a high school English teacher and really enjoyed that in southwestern Ohio, um, but felt like I needed to impact more children than I could in my classroom. Became a principal, became a central office instructional leader, um, worked my way up to an assistant superintendent in Ohio, and needed to move to Tennessee for family reasons. So my husband and I moved our Brady Bunch of five children to Tennessee, and I worked a little bit in Tennessee and then started working in the department of Education in Tennessee, um, ended up as the chief academic officer in Tennessee, and then I was recruited to come here as the state superintendent in Virginia eight months ago. And and I know you've been on a big listening tour, and I want to I want to talk to you about that a little bit. Um, but coming from uh, southwestern Ohio and then Tennessee, it, this pro- this program is produced by Blue Ridge PBS, and we are out in the western half of the state. So it kind of makes us feel good to know that those experiences, because Southern Ohio is often associated with Appalachia, and so of course Tennessee mm-hmm. includes a big chunk of it as well. So um, you know, as you 
it, it just uh, makes us feel good to know that there's somebody out there who understands uh, the kind of students and schools and parents that we serve. Absolutely. And I'm a career educator, so I've been connected to a classroom my whole life. Um, since becoming uh, superintendent, you've spent a lot of time traveling the Commonwealth. I know you've been listening to parents and to teachers and to students and administrators. And I, it, we only have 25 minutes or so. But what have you learned as you've, as you've gone out first to kind of figure out the lay of the land? I think everybody's extremely passionate about children and want children to be successful in Virginia. And we're all working hard to do that. I think our teachers are putting every effort into their classroom to make it a great experience. Our superintendents are working very hard to support their communities and think about the things their communities need and the wraparound supports to make sure their students are there every day. Um, our families want the best for their children. They want to know what's happening in the school. And sometimes they feel like they are disconnected, whether it's our state report card that gives feedback on our quality profile on the schools or whether it's a lot of things happening in the schools, but our parents want to be empowered to work side by side with the teacher and support their own children. So we're really working to bring everybody together. I've had the opportunity also to listen to business members in most of the state, and they are really wanting to collaborate, to support, to help schools help students become successful. I think everybody is moving in this direction of where are children today? How are they doing? I think in post-pandemic, we want to know how our kids are doing. Are they behind? Are they caught up? We really want our kids to be a step ahead. And we really want our high schools to help prepare our students for the things they dream about, whether it's joining the military, whether it's going to college, whether it's entering a really wonderful career. We want to make sure they're ready and so that means where is my child today and where is my school today and how can we help the school and my child be successful to make sure we're moving children into their, their dreams in the future. You mentioned the pandemic, which sort of hangs over all of us every day still. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, we are in a place of having to play catch up but you know how long do we expect that we're going to be playing catch up before we can actually get back to where we were so we can get improve on where we were even before the pandemic well we know everybody's working really hard our teachers are working very hard to catch students up our teachers are working very hard to keep students on grade level our schools have been putting a lot of efforts and a lot of supports in but our students are still struggling with that that pandemic every child had a different learning experience they may have started back to school quickly but then their teacher went out ill or they were quarantined or they were combined in classrooms. So every child has a different learning experience, which means they have different gaps. So our schools and our teachers are trying to figure out what is that gap in that student's learning, but how do I keep them moving? Because we don't want to pull students back and reteach things that they don't need. So one of the things our all-in movement this year is focusing on is tutoring and filling those gaps, but not reteaching an entire grade level's worth of content. And I'm really excited that we have resources at the state that we've plugged in, and we also have community members that are coming in to help tutor and that our teachers, our aspiring educators in our universities are all pitching in to help our students get caught up because the most important thing for us is for them to get caught up in a step ahead. And we're seeing that across the country in states that are really leaning into high quality tutoring. We're seeing students get caught up in a step ahead. So hopefully with all the all in tutoring, we'll be, we'll be a step ahead really quickly and we'll be moving students forward. But we're really tracking that data and looking to see how we can continue to improve and work collaboratively together. And we have reached the point in the program where I'm going to ring my buzzword bell here just to say, 
you mentioned it a couple times. Um, I think those of us in education have a familiarity with the All-In uh, VA program, but for parents and for those teachers who are just hearing about it or they're, they, they, they are seeing things in their school system where schedules are being arranged or, or, or kids are being asked to undergo tutoring, tell me about that program and from kind of the teacher's and parent's perspective what they need to know about it. Sure. So um, in the fall, the General Assembly put $418 million into our schools, and the department partnered with the General Assembly and our governor to launch All In. All In is a three-prong approach that focuses on high-quality tutoring. It focuses on continuing support for early literacy and chronic absenteeism. And those three pieces mean we need to provide our students additional time, and additional time with the materials they're learning in reading and math. So that's the focus of tutoring. Some school divisions are putting that in the middle of the day. Some school divisions are doing before and after school. But there are opportunities for tutoring across the Commonwealth and additional supports and funds that were dedicated by the General Assembly. Second, we're really working on literacy. Families and teachers should be focusing on that science of reading literacy, which means really focusing on sounds and focusing on the code and focusing on thinking and talking about what they're reading. So you'll see a lot of that work. And then most importantly, chronic absenteeism. That's a fancy federal word that means kiddos need to come to school every day. What, what defines some, is there a definition of what is chronic? Yes, chronic absenteeism means I'm missing two days a month, which is 18 days a year. So when we think of two days a month, that's not that big of a deal to us when we're, we're thinking about it or we're rolling through our lives. But parents need to ask their school, how many days has my child missed? Is my child doing okay? And are there things to help my child get to school. We've seen across the state families struggling with different things and different needs, and schools are really well prepared to help those families. And so we want our families, if they are having challenges to get their child to school every day, to call their principal, call their teacher, and really work collaboratively with the school because the school has great resources, great mental health resources, great resources for um, food insecurities or home issues, and really working collaboratively with the school to help their child come to school every day. Because what we've seen since the pandemic is those children who miss two days a month or 18 days a year, they're falling behind in reading up to 18% in comparison to their child's peers or 25% in mathematics compared to their child's peers. So that's way behind. And that seems a lot, but it's simple. If you come to school every day, you're going to get support. And it also feels like something that, that can be attacked. And I know yes. that there are some divisions, uh, City of Richmond is one that comes to mind, that, that really, even before um, this effort uh, started, have, have done some things like offering rides on rainy days to mm -hmm. kids. And it feels a little bit like, shouldn't everybody just want to come to school anyway? Um, but there really are a variety of reasons why children don't make it to school, aren't there? Sometimes it's They've got to take care of another child or an elderly person. or So um, I I love the way that this program is being rolled out in a way that let the school divisions figure out with their parents and teachers the method that works best for them. Well, and we're really seeing exciting things. You know, we don't think of the kinds of things families are dealing with after the pandemic. And we want to make sure they have the supports. And the schools are really armed with a lot of supports and resources to help families. So... Each school is putting in different things, different resources, different supports. But I think the most important message to families is work with your school. Figure out what your child needs. 
figure out how often your child is missing school, and make sure you're connected to your child's teacher so that you can support collaboratively in those spaces. And make sure if your child misses, what do they need to make up? How can we how can we connect and how can we have resources there? Um, one thing we've heard across the state from teachers is it's really hard to keep going with grade level content with the important things they need to learn if a lot of students are missing school every day. So it's a real challenge for our teachers when their students aren't coming. So we want to support our teachers. We want to build a healthy community. We want to build a healthy school. So the most important thing is for everyone to come together, have conversations, work with those resources, and make sure. You mentioned Richmond. Richmond has put some great resources in for families to support them and make sure that they have everything they need. Well, in including the things like uh, laundry facilities Absolutely. at the school because kids weren't coming to school because I wouldn't have thought of this, but because they didn't have anything to wear. They didn't have any clean clothes and a way to say, it's okay. We'll help you figure that out. We actually had a story where a mom, a new mom was not help well and she couldn't walk her child to the bus stop. So she was nervous about her child getting to school and the school provided her a stroller so she could put her baby in the stroller and walk her child to school every day so that she felt confident that her child was getting on the bus and was safe. So things which is like that. A lot better, which is a lot easier than trying to help that kid catch up. Absolutely. Once they get behind. Absolutely. Um, for and, and this is outside of tutoring, but while we're talking about parent involvement, in terms of as an English teacher, you, I'm sure you've thought a lot about this. That mom with a newborn, what can parents do to make sure their children come to school ready to learn, ready to read when they get there? I think a lot of times in today's society, we have a cell phone and it's easy to use that cell phone at dinner. It's easy to use that cell phone, you know, when you're hanging out on the couch. But we, we need to put our cell phones away. We need to re-engage with our children. We need to have conversations about what we're cooking for dinner. We need to have a conversation about what happened at school and build language, build opportunities, spend time reading with your child. Take time to build those relationships at home and have that home life where you're talking. You're talking about things at school. You're taking trips to different places in your community, just going to the library. And the opportunity to reconnect with your children is one of the most important things we should be doing with our children outside of school days. This is Activated Learning from Blue Ridge PBS in partnership with the Virginia Department of Education and in collaboration with Visti. If you like what you hear, subscribe to Activated Learning wherever you get your podcasts. If you've got an idea for an upcoming show, let us know at activatedlearning at blueridgepbs.org. And you are listening to Activated Learning. I'm Tom Landon from Blue Ridge PBS and Blue Ridge PBS Echo. And I'm here with uh, Dr. Coons from the Virginia Department of Education, the State Superintendent of Public Instruction. Again, I thank you for taking the time out Absolutely. of a very busy schedule to be here. Um, the, uh, we were talking a little bit about helping build that early literacy. And I just read something that I thought was really great. And I wish I knew where I read it, but I, I don't. But it said, as for parents, so I, my kids – grew up in a time before tablets, mm -hmm. right? But I understand why you would give that kid a tablet in Target or whatever to, to on a trip, uh, whatever. But it just said, try to, if you can try to give your child as much individual attention just to equal the amount of time they spend on a Absolutely. device. I mean, ideally keep that device from them as long as possible. But I just thought, what a smart idea because it helps you think how much time is my kid on that tablet? Mm -hmm. And then 
how much time am I spending with them? That's right. And one of the most important things for a child to learn to read is to have language. And oral language is the first step in building building blocks to learning to read. So having conversations, you're building language like blue, red, um, awesome. You know, those words are Truck. things we you build. Know, we build. Things. We build in ch- children's vocabulary, and that conversation, that talk, is an incredibly important part. And then just reading, whether even it's reading on an audio book, if you're not comfortable reading to your child, it's really important to build those opportunities and relationships. So yes, put the tablet away, um, take some time to have a conversation, and really build that relationship in that one-on-one time, as you said. I'm going to dive a little bit back more into policy type stuff. I know the sure. Literacy Act is a big focus, and, and it's it's been kind of the North Star of what you guys are doing. Um, Again, for parents who are unfamiliar and for teachers who are so busy preparing their lessons and whatever, they haven't really had time to think about what that means for them. Um, Can you decode that a little bit for us? Yeah. At one point in time, there was this thing called the reading wars. And people said, you know, we should code and learn the code, the sounds, the letters, the words, how those make up. And there were other people who said, no, we should learn to read naturally and we should just practice reading words. And what we know now is we can study the brain. We can look at the brain while children are learning to read and we can see which way is more effective. And we now know that that sounds first, building sounds, building sounds that are connected to letters, building letters that are connected to words, is the way we need to teach reading. We don't need to do this reading naturally where our kiddos are guessing words or looking at pictures or just reading to read. We actually know that there's building blocks, and that starts with sounds and letters and words. And that way of teaching is different for some of our teachers. They weren't trained to teach that way. So the Literacy Act ensures that all teachers get the training on what we now know is the science of reading, and it's really based on that sounds first approach. What we also know is that our teachers need great resources and great materials. So the Literacy Act not only requires that training, but also those materials. And most importantly for our teachers, they need a coach. They need someone who can support them. And so it requires that reading specialists are put in place. All of those change the way school happens for elementaries. So we want to make sure our superintendents and our principals also have that support. So we are rolling out a lot of support for our principals to help them. What does a literacy lesson look like? What does that feel like? How can we connect our school community around that? And superintendents, what's their vision? What do they want to see in every school and every classroom inside their county? And last but not least, how do our parents plug in? So how do we support our parents? So In the next few months, you're going to see a lot of resources come out for parents about those oral language, those sounds-first activities, those great things you can do at home that don't require you to be a reading teacher but encourage you to be a partner with your child. Well, and to make it a little more seamless so it's, you know, like that what the child is experiencing at school is mirrored at home and vice versa. Sure, right. Um, And in terms – I know that, uh, you know – Everything gets tested, and those those test scores are are important for as a as a report card to let us know and what our parents know and our teachers know how they're doing. But um, it, are there things in the Literacy Act that are is there information about like accountability? What are pe- what are teachers going to be responsible? Because as teachers, we we all like to get a good score t- as well, so we always want to know what 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 do we need to be doing. I think it's it's different than getting a good score. We want to know how our children are doing. And the screener, you know, we have vision screeners. We have screeners when we go to the doctor. We also have a reading screener. And the reading screener that is implemented as part of the Literacy Act is called a VALS. And the VALS, V-A-L-S. 
L-L-S. Oh, that's a good place. That's V-A-L-L-S. Okay. Yes. That is that screener that helps a teacher and a parent know how the ch- child is doing. And we know that it's sounds, then letters, then words. Well, if there's a breakdown somewhere in that process, the vowels will help the teacher and the family know what su- additional support, what additional practice, what additional resources can be put in place to help that child stay on track? And is this starting at kindergarten? When is this? When this is this? actually starts in preschool for those students participating in preschool across the state, but it will start for all kindergarten students and run all the way through third grade, where we know at third grade we want students really deep into reading and learning vocabulary, learning about the world from what they're reading. And where are we in sort of the implementation process of this? What's it look like now? What do you hope it looks like at the end of the school year? We're recording this episode in December um, and, you know, maybe a year from now or, or going forward. Sure. We have 20 school divisions that are piloting this resource this year. Um, if you're in one of those lucky school divisions, you'll start to see resources around that. Next year, all students across Virginia will have the opportunity to participate in this screener. And what's really exciting, if you're in Virginia, this is groundbreaking screener. There are screeners all over the country, but this is considered one of the best in the country. So we're excited to have something that really targets some of these areas for our students and helps pinpoint exactly what they need right when they need that support. Um, and as I'm, I'm going to dip back into the tutoring and, and absenteeism project again, the all NBA program. Um, I know that because of the timing with the budget and everything else coming out, this was something that sort of came out after the school year began. Um, just tell me about some of the conversations and things you, you and your folks have been having with people in school divisions to help them understand you know, what they need to be doing, what they, what freedom they have to do different things and, and, and how it's going to be implemented. So I really encourage everyone to look at the All In um, Tutoring Playbook. It really gives a roadmap on what is research-based, what we're seeing in states who are really moving and recovering, learning well, and what flexibility school divisions have. We had some school divisions jump in very early in October, and they were ready, and they had the flexibility and the resources to run very quickly. We've had some school divisions start just as recently as two weeks ago. And so we want to make sure that our school divisions looked at the playbook and said, okay, so tutoring is best when it's during the day. I might be able to do a couple of grades during the day because the school year's already started, but I might not. I might be moving towards that over the course of the year. The playbook also says, you know, the smaller groups for tutoring, the better. So I might start with smaller groups and lower grades and then move towards a, a smaller student-to-teacher ratio or student-to-tutor ratio over time. We also know that we want to make sure we have good tutors. And so some school divisions have started with a smaller group of students. And as they get aspiring educators from the local university or volunteers for the community, they're adding pieces of tutoring throughout the school year. And we're really proud of our schools because they're not just jumping in and trying to figure it out. They're walking very intentionally and looking those at those students who are struggling the most and supporting them with tutoring first. And I appreciate that and respect the fact that they're thinking through that and really being intentional. The State Department is offering a couple of resources to our schools. So teachers and families might see something called ZERN. ZERN is a math program that allows students additional practice in addition to that in-person tutoring. Lexia and Ignite are also reading resources that school divisions might lean into and parents... Are these like 
mostly online resources? All three are online resources that support in-person tutoring. So you might have some math in-person tutoring support, and then you might do Zern practice to give reinforcement and help the students connect what they're doing in tutoring to their daily classroom and to give them additional practice. Lexia might do the same thing for reading, and Ignite actually is some really intensive reading tutoring that school divisions might be using to support um, students who are struggling with reading. And all of these also help with the teachers and parents being able to kind of assess, is progress being made? Yes, And, and they have great resources and reports. So if a child or your student is participating in one of those, dig in because there's lots of data that help you see how the student is doing, where they're struggling, and how to support them. We just have a few minutes left, but one phrase, I mean, I know that you have um, worked to try to make sure that everyone understands kind of the difference between just what we think of as tutoring, which is, you you know, we all have our own vision of what a tutor looks like, to this idea of high-intensity tutoring and how it's more supported by research than than just just spending time with tutoring. So, again, for our parents and things, if they hear that phrase, high-intensity tutoring, what does that mean to you? Yeah, probably when you and I were in the classroom, it might have meant after-school help or grabbing a kiddo and making up a lesson that they missed. High-intensity tutoring is actually looking at what the students' holes are or gaps that we talked about at the beginning of this conversation and saying, this is a targeted response. So I might be in seventh grade and not understand fractions, but I might need fractions to draw lines and slope. So it takes me and helps me get some instruction in fractions and then puts me right back in that seventh grade conversation about slope. So high intensity tutoring happens two to three times a week for 30 minutes, and it really helps that student where they are catch up in their current classroom and not put them back and say, we're going to study fractions for two months. It is really a quick way to catch up, but it's intense because it's frequent. It happens 30 minutes a week and 30 minutes three times a week and really helps that student stay on track and close those um, gaps that might have happened during learning loss. Yeah. And and I think that makes the difference because we all know that some kids, they might have trouble with fractions, but be perfectly fine at everything else. They really just need to get in there and be a little more surgical in what they need to learn. Well, I just want to thank you for taking time in the morning with what I know is an exceedingly busy busy schedule. And just uh, I'll I'll issue the invitation again when you find yourself out in, in Roanoke and West. Please look us up at Blue Ridge PBS. We'd love to show you around. Happy to. Love talking about our educators and the great work they're doing across the Commonwealth. Really proud of everything that's happening in our schools today. Great. Thank you so much. And again, uh, for Activated Learning, I'm Tom Landon. Thanks. Activated Learning was created by Blue Ridge PBS in partnership with the Virginia Department of Education and in collaboration with the Virginia Society for Technology and Education. Produced by Tom Landon, Director of Educational Innovation at Blue Ridge PBS, with a lot of help from graphic and audio designer Jay Prater, podcast studio producers Andy DePew and Kurt Schruth, and Vice President of Education Dr. Rose Martin. Our theme music was composed and produced by Ryan Champney and Dr. Matt Katatachea of Visti. Copyright 2023, Blue Ridge PBS.